Hi, my name is Ross, and you are listening to The Machine Talks. It's a podcast about music. On today's episode, we have lead guitarist of Paradolia, Steve Dedayan, as well as concert photographer and editor of Alternative Revolt, Josh Lowe. Steve, Josh, and I talk about opening for Ingve Malmsteen, fighting a crowd for the perfect photo, as well as their trip to LA for Nam. Each episode, I make a companion playlist that contains all the music we talked about. To listen to the companion playlist, go to themachinetalks.com. To start the show, we have a track from Paradolia's album, Denied Truths. This is their single, Betrayed Within.
basically Steve Vai and Ingve Momsen showed up like an hour before the thing. They told us to be there at like the crack of dawn. Sure. So we're waiting there all day. And then, um, you know, all of a sudden Ingve Momsen pulls up in his like red Ferrari, like not even in like a parking spot, oh just God. like on the lawn in somewhere. My, in my head, he's driving a Ferrari that would be on one of his like 80s album covers. Exactly. Like yeah. 40. Like he's not driving a modern Ferrari. Yeah. He's driving an old school Ferrari. Yeah. So <laughs> in my head, I'm picturing the Hertz rental key. <laughs> yeah. You know, and it was just like his and his kid was is, you know, he was also handing out the passes and he looks so much like his mom. It's oh, really? really funny, yeah. They're like the same yeah. size, you know. And he and he he also, um, and he also is like a shredder himself. I mean, he really like I bet. blindfolded. He sounds exactly like his dad. But it was kind of fun to actually meet him at first. So we got our passes, and it was just it was really chaotic. Gus G played um, oh, really? Firewind, and so it was like it was it was a lot of fun. You know, it was like and that was our first show. Like we didn't even get a sound check at first. So all these bands, a lot of them, some one of them flew in from like Spain. Oh my god! So like. And they didn't get a sound check, so I'm there. I'm like, no, wait a minute, fuck this. I'm from Creskill. Like, <laughs> I, we get what we want when we want, you know. And I was like, so I'm like, fuck this. So I, I literally like start unplugging shit, oh and I'm gosh. like, and um, Steve Vai's um, guitar tech Thomas Nordeg, who's like legendary, like legendary guitar tech. Right. He's just all like, like I think he's like Austrian or something. And he's and he's walking around, and you know, I plug in, and and the guys like, yo, well, well, what are you doing? Because I'm just, we're just a shitty like open to them. We're just a piece of shit, right? We're just some opening band. Is is this like on a main stage? You're doing this on a side? No, stage? it's the stage. It's, it's these, like the, the, stage. The, the, the stage, and you're you're back there screwing with cables. And yeah, stuff. because and they're we, probably freaking out. Yeah, they're like having an aneurysm. Oh they're God. bleeding out through the nose, and like, <laughs> so we're we're like, so we're, we're I'm messing around because I'm like, no, we flew all this way here. Oh we spent God. all this money getting down here. There's no way in hell I'm not gonna get like a fucking sound check you want your tone yeah exactly sound so i plug my shit in and i'm glad i did which saved all the other bands because they had like maybe like 12 jcm 800s there (laughs) the one that we plugged into didn't work oh my gosh and he's and then his guitar tech tom's like what what are we doing oh my god it's a cable and he's like he's like running around and finally we got it fixed and if we had not gotten our we're like one of the only bands that got a sound check yeah and they you had to fight for it yeah and and luckily because we did get one, we actually found out like okay, this amp head doesn't work, uh, and that we actually used a different one for the show. But it was Ingve um, has his own personal oh, one sure. from from like Marshall, you know. But it was it was a crazy. But that was our first gig. Yeah. Wow. Your first gig is opening for Ingve Melms. Yeah, exactly. I thought like, how crazy is that? Yeah, that's insane. It was fun. Yeah, but um, and uh, it was crazy too because I was like, uh, I, I told Josh you know all, all about this story too. But it's mm-hmm. um, is you can't even make it up. You know, no. it's like, it was just, it was wild. Yeah. And I'm sure cause the, I, one of the questions that I w- was going to talk about later is, is just, um, I think with the metal genre or like the kind of like culture surrounding it, you get a lot of perfectionists, yeah, you yeah. get a lot of really fastidious people. Yeah. And I'm sure cause the thing is like sound guys in general are a very fastidious group. Yeah. And I'm sure metal sound guys are like the most. Yeah. And, and yeah, they're very passionate for their work. Oh sure. And yeah. And it's, it's think, a good thing, but to see, to see like who was supposed 
supposedly some bottom of the heap yeah. you know, guitarist. Yeah, they don't there. know like, who I am. Yeah, yeah, like I'm gonna fight for my tone. That's great. Yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, they, they, had, they had no idea like who I am or what I do. They just knew I was like, oh, it's just he's just some guy in the opening band, <laughs> you know. And it was just like, well, sorry, like I'll show you who I am. I'm gonna plug all this stuff in, and yeah, we got it though. So it was cool. That's yeah. sick. That's sick. Well, so who you are? You are Steve Dedayan. Yes, and you are the lead guitarist of Paradolia. Yes, Is, did I pronounce it? You right? did. You nailed it. Paradolia. And we also have Josh Lowe. Hey, how you doing? Josh, you're a concert photographer. Yes, sir. And you also, you have a website, altrevolt.com. Alternative Revolt. Uh, it's altrevolt.com, yeah. Okay. But uh, yeah, just uh, Alternative Revolt magazine. We actually used to be a print, but- no, Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Uh, started the project um, in 2011 mm-hmm. uh, with a buddy of mine in Denver. And uh, he- my dad's in publishing, mm-hmm. um, although he was no help because I couldn't really even begin to explain what I was going for, right? Uh, with him, but you know, I just he's old he, school, man. Yeah. It's new media, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, um, I was still kind of uh high off the fact that I had an internship at Rolling Stone, sure. Uh, so from doing that, you know, you think you're a freaking know it all because you know, you're at Rolling Stone. I mean, it was yeah. an awesome summer though, yeah, you know, just doing all that stuff and just really learning. Uh, a lot about print press manufacturing and just really what goes into a page. Right. So um, it was that whole industry was pretty much on the, uh, the tail end of kind of not being relevant anymore. Mm. And online media was. Sure. So a site, a little site called loudwire.com, everyone knows who they are yes. now. Yeah. Back in around that, that year, they started 2011. <clears throat> uh, they started the corner of the market. They had content updates all day. I mean, they were revolutionizing the way uh, people flocked to their page with the use of Facebook, uh, Twitter, Instagram, all social media. Right. So, Which, all, six years ago, it wasn't so integrated. Not, not right. at all. Yeah. You couldn't do half the stuff you do now. Yeah. Um, I mean, now you can do live from Instagram mm-hmm. on any phone, not just uh, people who have a, a massive following. Right. Just anybody. You can run a radio show out of your basement. Yeah. <laughs> if you want. And there's something to be said for that. And it's like, but that's how social media is now. But they were doing it back then, which is content. It's, it was yeah. forward thinking. You're right. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. No, it was, it was brilliant thinking because yeah. now everyone's copying the way they do things. Right. And they're big enough where they can just kind of laugh and just not, not laugh at people, mm-hmm. but they're one of those infinite type players. Right. Because, you know, they they are sort of the forerunner now. I mean, they make L- Rolling Stone look like a joke. Rolling Stone's not coverage, keeping up at sure, all. Yeah. Oh yeah, Rolling Stone's just trying to stay relevant. Yet they're still keeping their yeah their like shitty attitude. Crazy anything. political op eds and stuff. And they had some very questionable articles, you know, within the past couple of years that, that got them into a lot of trouble. I feel like they've had more yeah. flack thrown at them than anything in the past couple of years. It, it, it's really just like, why are you guys even trying anymore? Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. The Rock Roll Hall of Fame sucks. Mm-hmm. Um, right. That whole ceremony. Anything they have to say just has uh, no one cares anymore. Just well, I I heard someone say something interesting. So you were talking about the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame and the Grammys recently happened. Yeah. Um. And I heard someone. Uh. No, I didn't hear it. I read it online. Someone commented on Reddit because they were just talking about the results of the Grammys, and they said like, "Oh, have you ever noticed how the Grammys, like when the Beatles were at the Grammys for like Sgt. Pepper's, Frank Sinatra won for a compilation album. Like the Grammys are always twenty years behind. Like now yeah. that like a band like Gojira got nominated." Megadeth is winning for a single that, you know, some people felt like it's not prime Megadeth. Right. Like they, they kind of, 
the guy raised an interesting point where he said like the Grammys are always rewarding the people who were innovative 20 years ago. And right. in, in 20 years, you're going to see Gojira get their Grammy because they had great music now. It's almost like, you know, these bands have to go through a rite of passage just to get an yeah, award. Like you got to get beat you up. You have to, to die or like you have to like, you know, they'll give it to you after you're dead. And they're like, oh, now we'll recognize right. them. Or it's like, well, who has the biggest name here? Yeah. And, and, you know, there were bands nominated in those categories that I think, you know, maybe were more deserving, but w whatever that voting process sort of is, it's, it kind of leads towards who's, who are the more veteran bands right. in right. this, you know, and, um, have to, and it's kind of sad that, that a lot of those bands don't even get like televised coverage even. It's like no. not even part of the main show. No, yeah. yeah. Like Megadeth has been around forever and they yeah. were on like the daytime portion. Right. And no one knew, no one in the mainstream. Yeah. You hear like it. three people clapping in the yeah. audience when they get their award, you know? Meanwhile, it's like drama about Beyonce or something. Whereas instead of talking about these guys who've been making their music for so long, it's uh, yeah. it's, it's a strange cycle. And I, in the same thread, someone said that David Bowie had to make black star and die to get a Grammy. Yeah. Like that's, yeah. that's kind of the attitude. It's like, Oh, here's your lifetime achievement award. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's a strange It's thing. like, when are they, when are you going to learn at like, when are these people going to learn? Like you can reward artists while they're still alive. While it's still, not horrible. You know, like cutting their teeth. Right. Yeah. You know, I, and that brings up another point is, um, the whole thing between not Lady Gaga and uh, Metallica, the Grammys, Right. But just the fact that Lady Gaga did uh, the national anthem the year before this year for the Super Bowl. Right. She performed the halftime show. Yes. And, you know, so the, the entire process of thinking just goes towards like, okay, well, all right, fine. She put on an awesome show. I, I really enjoy it. I still watch it on YouTube. Yeah. Um, why? What's the turnoff with Metallica? They're not so heavy where, ugh, I, I got to shut the channel off. I can't listen to this. I don't want my kids seeing it. Uh, Slipknot, I can understand. I'm, right. You know, I'm a huge fan. But these guys put on some insane, insane, awesome shows. And a band like Metallica being on the Super Bowl halftime show, you kind of figure, yeah, I'd watch that just to watch well, it. Well, so what you're saying, was was there hubbub about Metallica not being asked to perform or something or what? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Was that specifically um, this year or just kind of in general? Both. Well, both this year and the year prior because oh, they played okay. the uh, the night before. Right. Uh, yeah, they do that like Super Bowl city concert, right? Whatever, yeah, right. And so you're just kind of wondering, okay, fine, they threw him a bone and play the, the night before, but right. why not the actual halftime show? Um, I, I just think for they Super honestly, Bowl fifty. I think they just want the biggest pop stars for the most ratings. That's that's what's what who's going to tune in to that's watch this. And Lady Gaga, I mean, obviously she's everyone knows who she is. Yeah, and a lot of these like like when I think football, do I think Katy Perry? No, no. But they want people who aren't already watching for the football. No, now it's right. Right. To, to, to yeah, get yeah, into it yeah. to tune in, and it's like it's all ratings and it's all like kind of bullshit like that, but. I mean, so you have these like execs that are, are sitting somewhere. Right. How can we get the most ratings? Yeah. Oh, yeah. But honestly, when Bruno Mars did his thing, he's he, he, was awesome. he killed it. Yeah. Uh, he's such a showman. Yeah, it was great. So, I mean, like, you know, these guys can put on great shows. Like, just because they're pop artists doesn't discredit them as musicians. No, not at all. But I think a lot of people, in the same reason you're talking about Lady Gaga and Metallica, people getting up and huff, like, oh, how are they playing with Gaga? It's, it's like a lot of these people are purists, too. They have their band. They like the band for that reason. If they do right. anything outside of that, oh, you're a sellout. Yeah. I mean, come on, right. you know. And if they really even knew anything about music, these people claim to be such uh, big-hearted 
music lovers that you know that Lady Gaga actually would prefer to be uh, the next Iron Maiden than the next Madonna. Right. And she's, she, I thought she killed it at the yeah. Super Bowl. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, she, yeah. she was and, awesome. And she's like, that's like Bruno Mars too. She is another showman that just yeah. like, she put her all into it. And I was watching that and watching the things that she was doing, I was like, if 98% of other people in the world did this, it would look like the dumbest thing in the world. Exactly. But she's doing it she and she's owning it. It's and that, the way she does it too. Yeah, but, she has confidence. But that's the thing I was saying before is like there are certain bands and genres that are like the creators of that. Right. And they can, they can pull it off, but trying to imitate it, it just doesn't work for some reason. It's, no. it's that star factor that they have, that reason why they're big in the first place. It's like if you've ever tried to come up with, uh, you know, like being a songwriter, if you've ever tried to come up with something super new or you think you just came up with the new hotness, yeah. and then you realize like, Oh no, David David Bowie was doing this in the '60s. Right, like this yeah. is like there there are some people who who are such like uh, you know spearheads for different genres or, or like I like even coming up with riffs or something. You might think like, yeah, this sounds really hot. No, I like this because it's part of a song that that, you was, know, yeah. that was from 30 it's years. It's somewhere ago. in the back of your yeah. head. And the thing about it too, like, there's only 12 notes. Yeah, you know, in Western music, so, I mean, we're gonna. You know, in any key way of what seven different notes at, at, at the most, if they're even going right. to use that many, yeah. it's like you're going to run out of ideas, or you're going to maybe make something that sounds like something else eventually. You're telling me you don't have some microtonal guitar neck? Oh, yet? oh yeah, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, this only has twenty five frets on. Oh, it's not enough. God. No, it's you know, but uh, but it's it's crazy. You know, it's like you write something and then someone will say, oh, so like it's classic. Well, comment section on YouTube is to be avoided at all costs at normally. All costs, yes. But if you look on any song, half the time they'll be like, oh, they, they ripped off so-and-so and they'll post a clip of like a song that has like half a second like similarity. Right. It's like, well, of course, you know, yeah. you have only so many notes. You can only do so many things. And especially in a particular genre, it's, it's wild, yeah. And I think that people don't realize um, if, if someone is, is from the outside looking in on the songwriting process or something, yeah. I think they might not realize how direct the you know means of uh inspiration yeah can be so like if someone is quote unquote inspired by something that might mean like i really like that chord progression yeah, so right. i'm gonna take that chord progression I'm gonna do that yeah. yeah like that's gonna be my thing now yeah like i there's a podcast that i listen to called song it's it's called song exploder and every week they like go through a different pop song or a different song and talk about how it came to be some weeks they talk to the artist for 15 minutes about the lyrics some weeks they talk about the recording process and the one with rivers cuomo for the latest weezer album which like Weezer since like 2007 has been like really, I personally feel like way downhill. Yeah, and sure. And so it was interesting to listen to that specific podcast because what Rivers was talking about was how in like 2010, he read a book about the creative process. And so every morning he wakes up and he writes down what he thought about in his sleep or maybe at dreams or something. He writes that down. That kind of becomes his journal. And then when he listens to music, he finds chord progressions that he likes. And if he hears something that he likes, he writes it down and he puts it in an Excel document and he tucks it away. And then like two weeks later, when he's got to put out an album or something, he takes the lyrics from the dream journal. He takes the chord progressions that he likes from like, here's a song that he listened to from, you know, some doo-wop singers back in the day, but he liked that chord progression. So he yeah. just takes that chord progression, plays it on his guitar with like the Weezer settings, like with his specific, you know, very rivers sounding rig. That's awesome. And, and he just kind of like A and B slots it together. And part of me was like, 
Oh, that's why, because he read that book in 2010, and that's when those albums started sounding yeah. like he was crapping them out. Like, yeah. it kind of like it, it all. I, I saw the smoking gun yeah. at that point, which, like, for him, it's hey, listen, like, it's not invalid. Yeah. He, he's still doing well. He's still Rivers yeah. Cuomo. Yeah, he's, right. He's doing just, he's doing better than me. Yeah, so yeah. I can't, I can't throw any shade on him, but like, that's his method of inspiration and that's pretty direct. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, um, Avenged Sevenfold got a lot of flack for uh, their last album, Hail to the King, uh, for sounding too much like Metallica. And, and it, it wasn't just the fact that they uh, sound like Metallica. They, some of their songs sound exactly like Metallica. Right. That you could do a mashup, no problem. In fact, there's a song uh, I just put up on YouTube. Uh, I forget the titles, but I'll grab them later. Sure. Um, that you could play any of the music and put Hetfield's voice and it'll sound exactly like it. Oh my gosh. Or vice versa. They had a song with like Sad But True. Yeah, Sad But True. And it was like literally the exact same song. And I'm like, I get, yes, Metallica's influenced all of us. Yeah. But to that degree, I think it crossed the line of like what is quote unquote influence. Right. You know, it was almost like, oh no, you just basically rewrote this and like, a different key. There's there's a yeah. very gray line where it becomes like copyright infringement. Yeah, like you yeah. know the IP fraud or something. And you know they were called out on it by by some people and like you know by people, but then but no like notable like notable yeah. people like called them out on well, it. Rob and, you know, Flynn was the one Rob, that was really he, shit talking the most. Yeah, but and you know there were a lot of valid points to what he was saying, and I think people are scared of like saying that to like bigger bands in the genre right. for some reason. He's but got a mouth. He's got a mouth, and, and but you know you make a he made a good point though, and like when I listen to him, I'm like, you know, I, I like Avenge, like I think they have they have great stuff, but that album for me, yeah, like I just heard it, and I was like, really, guys, you know, yeah. but you know, it's tough, you know, that was just their thing. There, because and also like to them, maybe they, because I'm sure the guys in Avenge Sevenfold all grew up just uh, you know idolizing Metallica, oh sure, absolutely, and and so for them maybe it was kind of like oh this is my love letter to like maybe this is our you know like master of puppets or whatever, yeah, like, maybe this is our you know yeah like, well you know it worked because now they're for they're all. opening for Metallica this summer, well that works, yeah, so, that works, I mean, and and Gojira's playing with them, yeah, and oh, Volbeat, awesome. and Volbeat, yeah. yeah. Nice. Uh, so you know, if anyone should have a problem with it, it's Metallica. But the fact that they put them not yeah, on yeah, the lineup, yeah. they're opening directly for Metallica. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure they're cool with it. <laughs> yeah, I would, I would imagine. So. I, mean, I mean, a big band. I mean, basically, like at these concerts too, you want to be playing with the biggest bands. And as far as metal bands go, I mean, American metal bands anyway that are like you know relatively younger guys. I mean, they're probably one of the biggest you know that are out there right Avenged? now. I think so. I feel like they're bigger than like one of the small guys. I feel like they're. Oh, they, I mean, no, they're huge. Yeah, yeah they're definitely like, ri- uh, more than rising star. They're definitely uh, in that all star category. Yeah, superstar. Like, yeah. I, I feel like say. people who don't follow metal or hard rock might still know about Avenged Sevenfold just because, yeah. and they've also been around for a long time. They have been, yeah, better yeah. more than a decade now. They did whatever it took because they they dropped the entire metalcore. Uh, uh, genre. They don't scream at all anymore. Right. Uh, the singer completely refuses. They lost a little bit of a something though because their songwriting was ten times better when they had the Rev. That's the That's last. The, the last album of theirs that I listened to was the one that came out after the Rev passed away. So Nightmare. Nightmare. Yeah, that was Nightmare. So I listened to that and I remember thinking like I hear a lot of the last album on this and that was all Portnoy on that. Right. That, that those drums sounded enormous because you know he, he was on there. Yeah, I think it was the Rev who recorded, it, but Portnoy played live. 
No, uh, no, it was, was no, no, I'm, no, it was I um, that wrong. No, the Rev wrote the demos. Mm. Portnoy okay. recorded the drums on those on that record, and right. he played live for like one tour. Mm. But then they dropped him after, and that's when he was. That's when he basically split from Dream Theater, um, as as their official, which was like even more mind blowing for their fans because he basically. I mean, Mike Portnoy's dad named the band. Yeah, like, he's like he is Dream Theater. Yeah, and so, uh, but he played, and because Portnoy was the Rev's favorite drummer, right? And but people don't realize that like how powerful a drummer can be in good songwriting oh, and yeah. and i feel the reason why some of their songs were as great as they were was because of the revs writing mm-hmm. and i think ever since he hasn't been a part of that i don't know if their songs are quite as good as they used to be i i prefer their older some of their older stuff but nightmare is, is a great album there's a lot of good tunes on there um and uh but you can see his presence and his influence from there, and then you see everything else after that. You see a drop There's off. a stark difference, right. yeah, yeah. It's, n- it's not like it's, it's not like it's a good bad thing, but you you feel that it's different. different flavor. Yeah, exactly. What what sort of role did he have in the songwriting process besides like drum? I mean, he was parts. definitely was, he was very accomplished. Was he, a, was he a, a lyricist for them? I don't think so. Um, Johnny Christ actually, it's his band, so I feel like he has most of the majority of the creative process, right? Um, I wouldn't be able to know that for a fact. That's nothing I've tapped too far into. I'm I'm sure the Rev knows. But, I mean, the, the Rev things. You know, but, building his drum foundation and working around that. I'm I'm always interested to hear about like uh, how do you how do you guys say, how do you guys say as a Neil Pert or Neil Peart Pert Pert. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm always Peart. interested that like he he writes like almost all of Rush's lyrics he, and like yeah. people never think about drummers as lyricists. Right. So not just that, but writing anything else. Yeah, besides besides you know the drum track, it's uh, I'm I'm always interested to hear the different kind of creative input. And this is, I mean, I guess wrapping it back around uh, to Steve's band um, for your band, like the creative process, like you must get pieces from all over. You must get yeah. like like when when you guys write a track, is is there a sort of typical way? I'm sure every track is different, but yeah. is there a, a sort of formula or route that you guys go? It just or? starts with like basically the songs were written by myself and the singer. Okay. So I wrote all the drum parts. Really? And I wrote all the bass line, mo- like most of the bass lines I wrote. When you, when you say you wrote it, are you recording scratch tracks or? Yeah, like I'll rec- like I'll program the drums uh-huh. and like I'll, uh, I start with a guitar, with a riff. Right. Or like maybe a chord progression. Mm. So um, like, um, for example, I guess I can play something. Yeah, let me turn you up here. Like I may have just like... Um, like a riff, like maybe say I have like three notes, like, and I'll right. have like, okay, I have these couple of notes, but I want to maybe fill it out. So I'll maybe have something where I have, um, I'll have something where like, I'll have those three and then I'll kind of build on it. Right. And, uh, instead of maybe having like a three chord chord progression or maybe like, maybe three common chords you find in rock. It's like, well, how can we make this more interesting? So spend some time and be like. Like add a little bit more like maybe ninths or other chord tones in there. So I'll just be sitting there kind of noodling around Mm -hmm. like how to get these and I'll just kind of put those ideas together. And uh, like the singer will come in after that. He'll basically have like a karaoke track. 
Oh, really? Because I'll have scratch drums like from the yeah. program what what do you program on for your drums a superior drummer i've got it too it's yeah great. so it's pretty dope yeah <laughs> it's great yeah. yeah so um i'll have that and um uh with just recorded into logic with like a basic interface like mm-hmm. the guitar and the bass arranged you know verse chorus breakdowns things like that and then he'll just write to it and like he always nails like where the chords are going mm. or like where any of that stuff is going so i'll like make up these backing tracks that maybe have that um that chord progression right and um and then for me that's how i come up with the leads okay so it'll sort of be like i'll have those three chords and i'll like pick out like some of the the chord tones like So I'll, I'll like play off of whatever those chords are, and I might just have that on loop for like, right? You know, up to an hour. You know, I'm just sitting there like, just kind of like, what, what can work here? Yeah. So it's kind of like between the two of us, but yeah, that inspiration can come from anywhere, you know. And and it, it could take a couple hours to come up with this song. It could come up with like weeks before you finish. Like, I mean, I'm stuck on this, you know, right. this bridge. I can't finish this song unless I write this, you know. I I went so. I have a question. It's like a personal question as a songwriter. Cause when I try to write music, I'll, what'll happen is like, I work in Ableton. Oh, sure. I, I have logic. I'm really not very good at it at all. Yeah. But when you're, when you're like looping a track for like an hour, you said, yeah. and you're trying to come up with new parts. I find that I'll get into a <clears> rut about like, okay, I've listened to the same eight bar loop and now I'm telling myself I have to come up with a bridge and I can't come up with anything it's hard good like do you do you turn to theory at that point do you say like okay well i have this chord and i might like okay i'll do like i'll go to the fifth next or like yeah what do you have a a sort of like escape hatch for like how do i get out of this or how do i find something new in the same thing you could even just like for me like sometimes honestly the best thing is just going away from it and And like and coming like clearing my head and then coming back because you're right like if you're playing over a certain chord progression, and then you come back, you you keep doing it and doing it. It's like, okay, where do I go from here? But even starting on like a different chord, like um, could in say different mode, could just completely change everything. Right. You know, so it's like I may like say say I'm in like I don't know like E minor, and I'm like playing on something like E to C to D is like really common. Like even just starting on say like A. You know, is enough. is enough to like maybe go, oh maybe I got this new melody now. So right. I made like A to A, A to B minor. It's like oh, okay, maybe I got this. I can add like some chord extensions here if you still want to stay in the same key. Right. And it's like so even just that one chord could like change everything. You know, or adding just like an extension onto it. Sure. You may hear something new. So it's like yeah, there's always those parts that just if it's not coming to you naturally, it's one of the most frustrating things yeah. to not have a part. And you can't force it out. You can't. Because it feels, it doesn't feel right. No. If, if someone like, oh, this is manufactured. He tried to come up with something right. that sounded yeah. different, but it's it's just more of the same. It's true. I find, because um, for the past year, I've been taking piano lessons and going from mainly a guitar background to piano, um, just having a different visual perspective on the range of notes yeah. has really changed um, how I go about writing. Yeah. And 
it's helped things click that because I would try to learn theory when I was working with guitar and it was hard for me to comprehend like how yeah. how everything fit together. But with a piano, I can see it in front of me. It's all visual. And, yeah. And so, you know, whatever works best for someone, that's that's best. But like now I understand, okay, with a relative minor, like I know if I'm writing something that sounds happy, like yeah. in C major, like, well, relative minor is A minor. A, so yeah. I can just make that like all of a sudden, if you just change the one, you still work with the practically the same, same chords, notes, but, yeah. but it's, you know, you just change that one. It totally changes the tone of everything. Well, that's why, you know, a lot of guitar players, they're actually playing in, you know, major scales over most things and they don't realize it because they're not playing over the, the right notes for those chords. So it's right. like playing over the right, that can change your whole sound. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so it's, it's like, the, it's really interesting, like to, to actually get the sound that you're looking for, you have to understand what you're playing over. Everyone wants to play, I want to be Shredder, I want to play fast, which is cool. Right. But if you don't know what the rest of the band is doing, you're lost. Or like, I yeah. I heard, um, I didn't hear it, I read it, uh, Sting had some quotes saying that like a bassist, like Josh and I have history as bassists, has the most important role of the band because, which is a very bassist thing to say. But yeah. <laughs> he said a bassist has, has the most important role in the band because the band doesn't know what chord it's playing until the bassist plays a note, which is true. Because if, if yeah. you have the band playing a C chord and the bass plays a C, that's a C. Yeah. If you have the band playing a C chord and the bass plays an A, oh, well, that's an A minor seven. Right. Like, so it, it does change the flavor. It's and huge. That, and that sound, because I got so stuck in the rut of like, I know my minor pentatonic on guitar. Yeah. But, and if you asked me to work in major solos or soloing over anything major, I'd be, you know... Yeah, I would look like an idiot. And you can still but. use major. I mean, Dragon Force does that. I mean, they use major scales and major arpeggios in in, in their solos, oh, and, yeah. and they're shredding them. You yeah, know, so it's like make it sound huge. Oh, it's monstrous. You know, yeah. and like it, it's totally true. And like I think the rhythm sections usually don't get enough credit because you know, like a lot of times bass players like they're they're in the back end, right? You know, but it, no, there's a lot of truth to that. For I, sure, I could I could go on, and I'm sure Josh could go on about like the importance of a bassist. But I I have the most fun. When I'm playing in a band, I always have the most fun as the bassist. Yeah. I've played in bands as a guitarist. I've played in bands as other components. I've played in band uh, in a band as a drummer once. And hands down, always the most fun for me is bass. Yeah. And it's a lot of pressure, too, because when you drop a note, everyone knows it's it. It's true, yeah. It's, yeah. No, I agree. Um, in fact, before I was in my first actual band in high school, um, you know, before that, all I wanted to play was guitar. But... I always struggled with guitar because, uh, well, I'm just not that good. <laughs> right, it's tough. Um, no, it, it was a lot more challenging for me. And as Steve has put to me before, I've got bassist hands. Right. And I've got these meaty little fingers that don't really mesh well on a six-string guitar. And they're strong fingers, too. Yeah. You know, like you can make those notes sound powerful and make them thump. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Exactly. And, and I realized how much more fun uh, being a bass player in the band actually is. It really is. Um there is a lot more pressure. I mean, people actually hear you the most. Yeah, because and they don't know it they at the know. time. No. They can also but, feel it too. Yeah. I think it's one of the few instruments where like you can actually like feel that bass. You can feel like what they're playing, like physically. Like right. that's how powerful that instrument is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's electrifying. Like when you go see it, it's the difference between listening to an album at home and seeing a band play live. Right. It's like feeling it in your spinal column. Yeah. Of like, yeah. oh my God, this is a personal experience. It's a like a biological experience almost. I am experiencing this. I'm not listening to music. I'm yeah. feeling this. It's huge. Yeah, I remember my first uh, sound check. Um, you know, I was, I was shy because like, I never played a show yeah. before. Not not stage fright. I had no problem with that. 
it's just that I'm like, oh, I hope I don't make a mistake. And if I right. do, I hope no one tells me I suck. Yeah. yeah. So it's like every musician's like crippled self, like yeah. crippling fear. Yeah. And, and then they go, we, we need to turn your bass up quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> we're not getting anything. I'm like, Oh, okay. Okay. And, you know, so we do. And I'm like really hearing myself I'm like, oh, shit. Yeah. Like it, it yeah. makes you think, it, it makes you think in a loop of like, oh, I can hear myself. I hope I don't mess up. That's I, what I've I sounded like myself. this whole time. Yeah. 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 And then um, I'm hearing myself more than the other guys in the band, the, uh, the guitarist. Um, I'm like, I hope I'm not overpowering them. But, you know, they, these guys, I'm not, I don't really know anything about sound mixing, to be perfectly honest with you yeah. guys. I know how to send amp for myself. Right. But for a room full of people, the dynamic completely totally changes. Different. And that's just stuff I don't know anything about. Well, I mean, yeah, what they're hearing in the back of the room, too, is totally isn't the same different. what's on stage. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's why, like, in your monitors. Well, we'll so tell great. that to yeah. my 16-year-old self. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like you don't just crank this, you know, you know, there's like no like thought process. There's like, no, I mean like more is more. Therefore I should crank this if I want to be louder. Yeah. You know, I, I remember yeah, so I'm like, I hope I'm not overpowering anyone in the band. Like I don't want like, you know, Chris coming over and changing my settings cause it's pissing him off. I remember that's something he would do. That, yeah. that thought of like, cause when I was, um, I would, uh, work with Garrett in high school and I oh, remember sure. like I would, have my amp and it's just like oh it's loud enough for the drums i remember watching him go over and like mess with my treble and mid and stuff and i'm like i never touched that like yeah, that, it's yeah. such an afterthought yeah, it was just EQ. like is it, what's, what's is it loud yeah. enough yeah. like yeah. It, it was a it was, was a spunkmeyer yeah this was yeah. Spunkmeyer, the, the heady days of spunkmeyer but um that's you, you know it's like everyone's i feel like everyone's kind of got that like garbage experience of like yeah let's never watch that videotape again but you needed to have it because like, yeah where else were you going to get that experience right it's like we, I, I would feel safe enough to say that we've all been in a crappy band at oh, some point. Yeah. Yeah, it's like having a sex tape hidden somewhere. It's yeah. like, it's like you, everyone's got that and no, everyone's got that skeleton in the closet Yeah, and no one wants to talk about it. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm this crazy, huge macho guy. Like I'll, I'll do this, like listen to this song that I wrote, whatever. And yeah. don't go on YouTube and find that video of me in high school. <laughs> it's like, you're like your kid asks you one day, dad, what kind of bands are you in? It's like, you know, daddy had to do some things back then. You know, like, you know it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Daddy might not have been proud. All yeah, the time. right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you got to pay the bills. Yeah, right. right exactly. Yeah. yeah. I I was paid once. I was in a band that got paid once. I was never in like any you know very long running bands. Yeah. But it was such a rush. And after playing uh, at Maxwell's in Hoboken for an hour, this guy handed me forty bucks, and I was like. That was so after the thought. I was just so running on adrenaline from playing a show and yeah. feeling amazing. I was like, that was the most amazing experience of my life. And I got paid for it. It's like that 40 is almost like 400 I, you know, at that point. You yeah. feel like to, like I got to do something that makes me feel like I am, you know, high on the most amazing oh, yeah. drug in the world. Oh, yeah. And you paid me money to do it. Yeah, it's it's electric. Like what when you had that first gig with Paradolia at, at Guitar Gods? Yeah. Was that just? I mean, it was like a dream because we got that we got like an email, like because we we were like winners of a contest. Oh my god! To open and like like literally, ton, I mean, tons and tons of people. I don't even know how many people entered this thing. It was so many. I I just you know, and uh, it was like you got that email with that with that heading. It's right. like, you know, um, you know, like, congratulations, you've been selected to open. And it's like, it's like, oh, by the way. And they only told us like two weeks before the gig. Oh, wow. So we're like hauling ass trying to yeah. get plane tickets. But we're just so like, holy shit, we're opening for these guys. And it's like, I grew up listening to Mom Scene, I, Rising Force. I grew up listening to Steve Vai, Passion Warfare, all that stuff. And then, of course, like, Nico from Iron Maiden is there. Yeah. who was like the most 
like the coolest dude ever. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, all these like big, big guys. Rudy Sarzo from Ozzy's band was there. And it was just like all these guys were there. And it was just like, holy shit, like this is our first gig. <laughs> you know, and it, and it was it's like a, you can't, like unless if you're not a musician, like you won't, like people don't get it that like don't right. play. But like it's like the most incredible like thing to experience that sort of like. Yeah, for, for yeah. that to be your first gig of any band, I mean, for your first gig yeah. as a band. Yeah, these guys there, I mean, these guys were judges. It's not like, oh, yes, yeah, best feeling ever because we just played a, a, a VFW hall full of like 100 people. It's like, no, <laughs> yeah. this is just like you said, like Gus G, Nico McBrain, Rudy Sarzo, Ingve. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around that. Yeah. Uh, for that to be your first gig, that, yeah. that really is a dream come true. Yeah. And we, you know, we were like, you no, know, we had been practicing up until then because, right. you know, even though we hadn't played a show before, like we submitted that months before their supposed deadline, which they extended. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, you know what, guys? Like, you know, whenever you release a studio album, it's really easy to just never practice with the rest of the band. Like, well, this is a studio effort, right? You know, we'll just we'll we'll sell it and we'll do this and that. Um, but um, we were practicing. Um, just I was like, you know what? In the event that we win, because of course I'm confident in our album, right? I feel like, yeah, no, like. This is a great album. That's we your should, baby. It's, it's your baby. Yeah. But then, like you know, you um, you're you're doing that, and then it's like, well, obviously there's other great bands that entered too. But it's like you know what? Like I feel I felt really strongly about what we're doing, mm-hmm. and um, it was like the type of thing where once we got that, it sort of like validated what you had been working for for a I, long time. I would yeah. imagine so. Yeah. Like you, you've made a habit out of winning contests based on your musicality. Yeah. It's, it's like the type of, it's a great way to get your name out there too. Oh, I'm sure. Because like, um, every time I, I would see them, it was sort of like, I'm still, you know, at that time it was like, I'm still trying to get to like a level of recognition that like I felt I deserved or I, sh- I was working for. Not that, that's yeah. not even the reason why I play, but it's like, I want to be able to share like my music with as many people as I can, mm-hmm. you know? And, um, so it's like you enter these things and if you know you win them, it's great. It's not even the prize I even care about. It's just letting people know, hey, I'm here. Yeah. You know, and it's this is what I have to offer. It's it's kind of a weird um mortality thing that I like more so than um live music. Live music obviously is an amazing thing, but my passion is more towards like recording stuff. Yeah. And recording studio type setting. Yeah. And it feels like a weird mortality thing. Like cause I deep down inside of me, it's like, you know what? I don't care if this podcast gets two listens or whatever. Like, I hope that in a hundred years, someone can listen to this and be like, well, you know, these three guys had a conversation one time in, you know, Northern New Jersey and and they had a great time. And this, like, it it almost feels like trying to, um, like, like you were saying, it's like just letting people know that it's there. It's there. Yeah. It's it's not about like, oh, this has to become your favorite band. Right. Like, oh, like people, I I show the podcast or I've showed like pre- previous songs I've made to people and I, I can tell they get kind of cagey about telling me what they actually think. Yeah. And sometimes it's not so much about like, oh, you don't have to tell me this is like the next let it be. Just, right. Yeah. Just like, just let just be. lend, lend an ear to it. Yeah. And like, and you know, give it, it's, it's, uh, I don't know. It, it, it's kind of like, um, making, sure that you're going to hang around for a while. Right. So like, even if, you know, like the bomb drops tomorrow and we're all gone, like that, yeah. that music is still, it's still there. there. Yeah. You said something once. And, yeah. And time of history. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a, an interesting thought yeah. that I've gone on about, but, um, Josh, you have experience as a concert photographer. Yeah. And 
tell me, how does have you ever photographed Steve? Um, yeah, we uh, we went to a uh, video shoot once. Okay. Uh, but, oh yeah, well, not not live. That. Yeah, that, not, but, not not as a band, but he has yeah, done right. it for like when I've done like promotional videos for companies and stuff. Like he's been around to. Okay. Yeah, so I've been yeah. on set, uh, and that was the first time we well, the first time I met Dr. Strings. Uh, we'll go a little further into that in a minute, but right. uh, to just answer that question. Uh, yeah, Steve liked the uh, photos I got of him. He's a photogenic guy. Yeah, oh, I try, I try, but it's all—it's mostly Josh's talent, dude. Yeah. I was, mm -hmm. I was watching, I was watching the music video before for uh, your single, and your power stance is like—it's it, it's a perfect. Uh, it's <laughs> like it's like a perfect forty degrees. Yeah, the it, whole video. Many years have been put <laughs> into getting that perfect. 45 degree angle yeah, stands it's, there. It's yeah, it's excellent. It's just crisp. Yeah, and, thank you. <laughs> your your beard too in that video is oh, bulletproof. Oh, it's <laughs> like it just won't stop. You you could cut yourself on that it, beard. Oh, thank you. Because <laughs> of the last it was, single yeah, hand. it was uh, there was a uh, many weeks in the make months maybe in the making of that. But yes, I would imagine. that took a while. Yeah, it took a while. I remember where Very where happy. did where was that filmed? Oh, it was this. I think it's called New Verona, New Jersey. Okay. It was this middle of nowhere place. It was almost like Pleasantville in a way, in the sense that like, <laughs> it was like all these like perfect homes, people jogging, everyone's fit, everyone's riding their bike, everyone's walking their dog. Yeah. And it's very like, everyone's super nice and we're driving and somehow the videographer found this place. I almost wish like you were there to at least like take photos of like the Yeah, this event. sounds like the perfect towns, a seemingly perfect towns. I was going to say cuz the video looks nothing like it, the video is super haunting, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. And so I don't know how on God's green earth that this guy who lives in Brooklyn found this place in the middle of central Jersey. Oh it's maybe gosh. an hour and 10 about an hour or so away from us in Creskill. Yeah. And um we go and like we pull up to this address and there's this like big like I don't want to call it a barn but sort of is yeah and it was like the most desolate everything else was beautiful around it but once right. you walked into those you opened that like barn door mm -hmm. and you walked inside it was like post-apocalyptic mm -hmm. some shit just went down just, like, in here dreary and it was like there's some like haunt there's like spirits in here somewhere like you know if you if you play like uh you know have some seance or something something's gonna come out of the woodwork yeah, it was a very creepy right. luckily it was during the day and yeah. I, so it was like okay but it was a very creepy like looking place but it was perfectly fitting for the theme of the song and like for what like the imagery we wanted to conjure up Totally fit. It I have fits no idea. So well. Oh, thank you. I have no idea how he found this place, but it like totally what I had in my mind. He he totally nailed it. That's awesome. Yeah. Was that a guy that you work with, or you hired him, or he's like that, a scout? That videographer was Jeff Moore. He actually oh. reached out to us. Um, really? When yeah, when to our singer. Um, I want to say almost like maybe a year or so before we actually sh used him for the shoot. Oh wow! And it's the type of thing where you know when someone says to you like. Like, uh, like if you went up to a band, like if Josh goes up to a band, if you were to do that and say, hey, like, you know, I'm a photographer, whatever, and you offer your services, the band will say, yeah, 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 what, okay, we'll keep you in mind. Right. You don't, ex you think they're blowing smoke up your ass and you're just like, oh, okay, fine, they're whatever. Yeah. But when you get that phone call from them, you're like, oh, they, they were serious. Hmm. It's almost like when you, when, with anyone, it's like, they say, yeah, 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 we'll do this. You don't know if they're just being polite, but, sure. but we did that to Jeff. 
and we were just like, yeah, well, you know, when we shoot a video, we'll let you know. But we were actually serious because he did have a really impressive reel. That's a business contact. Yeah, and exactly. And so we're just like, well, we have a guy. And I don't know if he was like surprised that we actually emailed him when we're ready to like, hey, actually, you know what? We are ready to shoot this. And so we collaborated on an idea that fit the lyrics and the theme of the song. And it just, he was great. He was great to work with. Yeah. So he helped a lot with the creative process of the video. Yeah, he had some really good ideas. And he, I sent him the the recording yeah and i didn't want to tell him what it was about or what it meant to me personally right because i don't want that to influence him at all no you just want to hear what it made him think exactly and what his take on it was super interesting right with the imagery and the story that he had behind it Mm -hmm. so i was like that wasn't what i wrote the song about but i really like how you interpreted that yeah i've I've had a moment like that where I, i wrote a song that to me I was really happy with how it sounded. It to me it was supposed to be really intense and sad and yeah. like serious. And I played it for a friend and he was like, Wow, that sounded so angry and like frustrated and like and I was like, Wow. So I went into it. I thought it was gonna sound super mopey yeah. to everyone. And he's like, No, it sounds like you are very angry at someone in the song. Yeah. And just to hear that difference of interpretation. I can imagine too, like you have an album full of songs that like you can just you know get They're people's all stories. Takes on. Yeah. 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 No, that's that's excellent. So it's it's I guess that, that's how like I think art and is in general. It's like you give that same album to like ten people. It's they interpretive. May, they may view it ten different ways. Yeah, yeah cool. and that's that's kind of like once once you make it, once you record the album, or Josh, once you take a photo of a musician, like that's kind of when you lose control of it and you kind of just have to let it speak for itself right like you can't like sometimes if you're playing something for someone you might feel like oh here let me tell you the 15 minute backstory of this song before i sit you down right and tell you all about it like the right thing that you should do is just like sit down shut up and play it for them and let it speak for itself it's 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 so subjective like even with a photo like i could look at it and say oh my god I, this is a horrible photo and then i'll be like no like this is like this is like the one this is the album cover right. it's, it, like, it's kind of funny when you look at it because we're both making albums of some type yeah right you know so whatever goes into my stuff um i really want it to really kind of show what i was really trying to go for right but unlike you know being guitarist you can write wherever you want and i mean whether you play it well or if you don't but with me I really have to kind of know what I'm looking for on stage. Right. Uh, and whatever gets presented. And sometimes I miss that opportunity. Well, I was going to say, like, so we were talking about Steve's video, which is a very, like, dismal, dark, yeah, kind of grungy thing in, yeah. a, in a good way. It's yeah. like, it's got a very specific mood. And Josh's photography, um, to me, I've, I've looked through a lot of your photos, and to me, you have a very clean style, very crisp. It's, um, I... I don't know if this is a good thing or a bad thing to say, but to me, it almost feels journalistic. Like you no, are, it's a fine thing. <laughs> like you are, you are trying to. It's. It feels like you're very much trying to put someone in in your shoes. Like like I see photos that you take, and it's like, oh my god, he's standing like eight feet away from Brad Paisley or someone, and and like I I get to be in that moment. Whereas like nowadays with some of the really heavily affected photos and everything, you might not like it's coloring the lens a little bit too much sure yeah it gets very highly technical but um really what goes on is you got a number of shooters uh, a lot more now than there used to be so that's where a lot of my frustration comes from i don't mean to steer it in that direction but uh that's part of what goes on in the way i do things is because uh you get some gigs where you're the only guy there it's just you and the house guy Uh so you've got all the free room you want 
Wow. Um, sometimes they plant you in one spot at the soundboard because uh, either that's just where the band wants you, right? Or that's how, or the stage is set up in a weird way where there's really no room for you at all. Okay. Uh, and they only make priority for video because video uh, does take priority over sure. anything else. Uh, and you're there to snap a few photos for three songs or two songs or even 30 seconds or uh, worse I got was 90 seconds for oh. Garth Brooks. Oh my gosh. Uh, that's a brutal. fun story. First of all, I got him actually. Um, he's really cool with doing like a press conference uh-huh. before any show. So he's been doing this whole world tour where he'll do anywhere from two to nine shows okay in a, in a week right right so i'll do two matinees and then he's off to i don't know wherever he's going to next but yeah gosh uh, that's like that's like uh the rockettes like you got yeah. three shows in a day or yeah. something it's crazy so he makes time to actually speak with us we'll that's take all neat. the photos we want um you know just standing right in front of him but then he plants us at the soundboard and then it gives us 90 seconds. So you have to rely on a lot of different things. How does that, like, do you get like a call from a handler or someone like, hey, your time is coming? Or like, how do you, how yeah. do you get like such a regimented 90 seconds? Yeah, they, they, uh, they escort you. Really? So whoever it is, it's usually the venue uh, director of marketing or the publicist or even uh, on, on an occasion like this, the, uh, the band's actual management or the tour manager, anyone with authority. Right. Uh, that's going to, be in full control of that situation. So you're like hanging out backstage and they grab you and take you? Yeah. Um, so it's funny because a lot a lot of times I just get a ticket. Um, I don't buy a ticket. Everything's comped for me. Right. Um, so, you know, during the openers, I won't go into the audience unless it's someone who uh, I really, really like. And a lot of times the openers are that good. Right. Um, so... Um, you know, because the changeover is so quick, there's no point in going. They they bring you all the way back to the room oh. uh, to make sure your camera gear is not in the performance area. Um, if you want to go back in, you've got like five minutes until the next changeover, and you can't meet. Uh, you can't miss the call time either. Or they they uh, I don't know. Some some people are different. Like I've, in Denver, um, Live Nation or AAG, they do not like it. Even if you have your pass on you. You go in by yourself, they, they will scape you until you're nothing but bones. Oh, my gosh. So th- there are a lot of politics in what I do. I still enjoy it. Right. I, I love creating a good image. I'm obsessed with getting the best image, even if it goes nowhere. Yeah. It, it's because that I just simply have that passion for it. So that's part of my frustration at the same time. Because So then what happens, like I was saying before, you're, you're either one of the only people or there's like or there's 100 fucking guys. 100 of you. Yeah. Uh, the festivals are the worst, and you got people who are there for shits and giggles, right? Because they're they're just there. They're like, like oh, look at oh, me, I'm a uh, blogger. Yeah. yeah, they all they all. Yeah. I not, matter too. Not, yeah. not even that. Like <laughs> everyone just assumes the same thing. Like you're going backstage or all that. Like like no, okay, that is not that that won't fly at like an arena show. Yeah, arena is fully controlled at a club venue. As long as you're not wondering. Wandering backstage, no one really cares what you do. Right, and, you, know, you can do whatever you want, pretty much. Um, but you know, these people are—they're harsh on my buzz. You know, yeah, definitely. They, yeah. They're getting in my way. They've got. You're trying to work. Yeah, it's not like oh, the tall guy is standing in front of me at the show. It's yeah. like yeah. no, you're trying. You have a job that you need to you accomplish. Have a very yeah. limited time. Yeah, which happens. Uh, the soundboard shows when I do country shows. I always pray to God there's no one like anywhere between. The first or uh, where we are. Sometimes it's just the fourteenth row that there's not a guy who's like six three and he's got his beer. Right. He's raising it. And yeah. It's even higher, and you're just like, God, 
damn it, I want you just you just want to cut these people down, like literally, right? Just right. throw like a boomerang or something, just hope it slices them <laughs> in half, like. Okay. Yeah. Thank. Thank you. Uh, don't do that again. Right. Yeah. But uh, no. But part of what I really love to do is uh, just getting the most high quality image I can and a great pose. Right. I mean, I still have images from. I've done some of my better work. Um, I don't know. Probably when I first started, and I feel like now I probably overthink it sometimes. Right. Because uh, I'm I'm just thinking about a thousand different things that I didn't think about before. Uh, about like where my focus is, where my balance is. How it's going to look in Photoshop? What I can take out of Photoshop? Right. Um, and you know, I'm a really serious, serious player. Uh, I definitely have a high enthusiasm for it. Yeah. Um, and that can get you in trouble too, because you're you're easily mistaken to just be one of these other nut jobs that manage to get a photo pass, and you're just there just for shits right. and giggles. Right. Like, and, and you you have to be defensive of your work. I don't like, get defensive. I just tell them to fuck off. They right. don't like it, you, you but kinda, you have to stand your ground. Yeah. yeah. Well, that too. And you know, someone once asked me because uh, Denver, I've got an interesting reputation because uh, oh, yeah. I spent the most years doing my work there. And uh, one of my friends asked me, "How'd you manage to piss off everybody you work with?" And I just go, <laughs> "I stood up for something." Yeah. Because these guys, the mentality is different. It really is. Um, none of them believe me that I was an intern at Rolling Stone. Okay, fine. I don't care. Um, they just, they kind of wonder how I go from like doing rock shows and metal shows and punk shows to, to doing like high profile classic rock shows, super yeah. high profile country shows. You've got a lot of like AAA artists in your yeah. portfolio. It's, it's a lot. That's the thing is like a lot of people just hate what they don't understand. Yeah. Right. What they can't comprehend that they could do it. It's like, well, if I can't do it, then no one can. What do you mean you did that? Yeah. And they just get angry about it. Yeah. They get so bad that shape. Yeah. And really the decision is not mine. If it were mine, uh, I'd get not only every show on my list, I'd be the only <laughs> guy there. Right. But no, it's not within your control. It's simply a numbers game. So then what happens is you have to fight for a good outlet that can get you into almost anything. Right. Uh, that's usually Rolling Stone. Uh, everyone and their mother wants to do a show for them. Of course, yeah. Uh, especially now than years ago. Because I guess just like, not unlike my own curiosity about getting into it, uh, people have the same thought process. Only their uh, aspirations are far different than mine because I'm there to really just see what I can make myself by doing this and then just like i said before there are just people that just they just want that one show to just fucking brag about and then it's nothing what they really think it is so they either get sick of it or they keep going and they keep pushing and just see where it goes from there and then you know some of those guys actually do mature uh which is nice and then i'm a lot more willing to open up to them right um but you know that's i kind of get it now like why a lot of these journalists or photojournalists are huge dickheads or sure. why every house photographer they have an ego. Yeah, uh, they're fighting for their job, you know, oh, especially yeah. now because the internet, as wonderful as it is, uh, it's really complicated. Everything it's uh, so incredibly like leveled the playing field yeah. that you need to have like ultra pristine work if you want to, you know, stand out. Well, that's the, that's the problem is like, and, and that's the thing with even bands too, is like you have a million and one, it, look, look, anyone that has a smartphone thinks they're a photographer now. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, anyone that has access to a computer or even a beat up instrument thinks that they can, that yeah. they're a, a musician. Right. And, you know, maybe those people are, you know, who, I mean, who am I to say, but at the same time, they've flooded those markets. Right. So now <clears throat> if you have, 
Pro Tools, which is easy to get. If you have any, really any of those, actually DAWs, it's you know you can record an album, you yeah. can master. I mean, back in the day, that that cost thousands of dollars. No. Like even like uh, when we mastered our record, like we went to Sterling and Sound in the City. I mean, you saw how intensive it was back in the day. I mean, now it's it's a joke. You can get a plugin to do it, really. Sure, but yeah. um, but now and 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 with the photography blogs, it's just insane. Like everyone. And their mother can flood this market, and it almost makes you have to push yourself to your limits to really bring out the best in you to cut through all the bullshit, right? So that people, oh, oh, well, that's crap, but oh no, that's this guy's actually good, yeah. And you know, you have to really, really work even harder now. I think, yeah. And yeah. So, sometimes yeah. you get into dangerous territory, I think, with photography or with like mastering an album or something, yeah. where when you get to the really, really, really extreme high end, you yeah, get, like diminishing returns, right? So like, someone might listen to like a fairly well produced album and a perfectly produced album right. and to some people it might sound like the same exact thing and to other people they might hear that difference or like you know the difference when like if you hand someone who's a, a camera phone photographer if you hand them a DSLR they're like wow well yeah. this is crazy but they might not know the difference between like a real entry level DSLR and the thing that's on like the sidelines at NFL games or yeah. something no, they, like. they say this, the one thing I love hearing and by love I mean hate right uh, is uh, oh I got a nice camera yeah, so you find out what that is. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, oh, 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 sweetie, we are gonna eat you alive. Yeah. Uh, okay, fine. They got their kit lens. Uh, you know, it, it's so funny. Steve and I always talk about how very uh, relative what we both do is is because like buying yeah. a, a kit camera is like buying a uh, beginner guitar set with like yeah. the crappy little combo yeah. amp and yeah. you know all that stuff. Um, and then the politics are very much the same too. Cause, oh, I would imagine there's a yeah. lot of parallels. Because there's so many guitar players, just like there's so many uh, photographers, that your work does eventually shine through when you know you're in front of someone that actually has a brain. Because right. you know they could look at my work and say, "Oh, so what's the difference between yours and this guy's?" Yeah. They don't know, and they may feel the same way about what's different from Steve's guitar playing versus a guy who's kind of good. Right. You know. Uh, so it's really just perspective and just a little bit of knowledge is not going to kill anybody, you know? Um, and I, and I find that even in today's world, nobody wants the smart guy to speak up anymore No, because it, it attacks the way that they look at things. It's too much of a liability. Yeah. It makes too many things. Too, too like, smart for the rest yeah. of There's something going on here. Get rid of this yeah. guy. Yeah. So I think we both have the same attitude because, um, not in a negative sense, but really it's like, well, if we want to keep doing this, then... You know, we do, I don't know if Steve knows this consciously, but I, I certainly do, um, is, you know, there's the difference between a uh, finite and infinite type of players that if you're an infinite type of player, you're just doing this just to stay in the game. And for me, it's been working because I'm still doing what I'm doing. And, right. you know, same with Steve. I mean, Steve, just like myself, we both have careers. We don't just do these things, but, yeah. uh, you know, we do it because we love it. And it yeah. takes a lot of pressure off when it's not your only bread and butter. I, I was just about to say, because you, you two guys have a passion for your craft and you you know, you know have uh, a vision of how you want it to be perceived, of how you want it to be enjoyed. And you, yeah, you have to fight for that. And you got to like 
make it like, like even the little nuances, like if someone were to, you know, if you're like taking a shot and someone shoves you like six inches to the left, you're going to say, no, that ruined my shot. Yeah. If someone like has to tweak your treble or whatever yeah, on the like, soundboard. It's, it's like, it. no, that's not what I'm going for. Like to, to outsiders, it seems like something so small, but that's your, that is your craft. Yeah. Cause like the way you want it to be perceived is like, you have your settings, you have your own vision. Right. Nothing can get in the way of that. How people perceive it once it's actually materialized, you you can't control that. Yeah. People will love it, they may hate it, but you at least want whatever's up in your head to come out either through your amp or maybe right. out on your lens. You, you that's want, what you want. You want to control all the channels up until the output. Exactly. You can't have someone else, you know, interfere right. with that. And even whatever. like when we're at the shoot for DR in, in Hoboken, um, and Josh, uh, he shot me there. Right. Um, like I, when I go to these shoots, and even when I did that thing with Guitar World, I bring my own amp head with me, sure. and and especially on the Mesa boogies, I like. Um, it's almost equivalent to like a really like high maintenance girlfriend where it's like you have to do you have to treat it just right you can't piss it off you know which <laughs> no, is really that. I say wherever I want no well yeah with these you're trying to get something out of it right, <laughs> right you know right. and so once I have that EQ set the graphic EQ I can't fucking touch this thing because yeah. if I do then my whole tone is going to be off so I bring my tone with me right to these gigs when i can control it right and uh when we're at the thing one of the engineers came back and i saw him go back to try and mess with my amp uh, and that's when like i see blood yeah <laughs> and, and then i'm like who's this motherfucker like trying to touch my amp so i go back there and i'm like what I, before you even i'm like whoa whoa what are you doing he's like well i need to turn that i said you don't need to turn anything down like right. we're cranking this because we're in a studio yeah and i need these tubes to be red hot so go back there you record me i'm gonna play this and that is yeah. like, well okay if you i'm like look i know what it's supposed to sound like yeah so even even still like i you know i there were a couple of things I maybe could have changed a little bit, but I think uh, in that room, because the room can change your, your sound too. Oh, absolutely. So, but for the most part, it was exactly how I wanted it. So whenever I like see someone come over to change it, it's like if someone's going to go over and say, oh, you know, your ISO is a little, your, your, you know, your uh, aperture is yeah. like, whoa, 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 you can't touch that. That's, these that's, are my settings. Yeah, like, yours. Yeah. yeah. It's like, who are you? you? You can't touch that. Yeah. I mean, I certainly have a lot more learning to do, but one thing I know for sure is that uh, my settings are my settings. You know, oh, you yeah. Yeah. Problem the way I shoot. Um, I mean, they're just showing uh, their intelligence level there. They're showing right. their competence right, right. there by trying to put their balls on the table yeah. and then you're just like, oh, that's nice. Like, I really don't care. Like, my style, just like I said. But uh, th that's actually a funny moment because that's where you really know that when Steve has, you know, got some authority of control, I mean, you, you just know not to piss him off. I mean, you know, <laughs> when it comes to being a gearhead, he's pretty much incorrectable. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. Oh, so we have any, gosh, wait. So here, what we're going to do is we'll introduce one of your songs. Okay. We'll we'll play one of your songs and then when we get back we'll talk about Nam. Okay. We cool. haven't even touched on Nam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. So uh we opened with Betrayed Within. Okay. What do you think would be what what's your number two? I think um Quench the Fire, the first track oh, is I'm so glad you said that because I was about to. Yeah, do, that's my Do you wanna do you wanna give a little backstory or we'll talk so, about it sure. afterwards or I, I give it to you now. Um, sure. so Quench the Fire is the first track on the record and um I want it that way because it's like the most, like one of the most high energy tracks on there. It's, it's really upbeat. And the interesting thing is that the lyric, the vocal is one of the only tracks 
one of two tracks on the record where the vocals were written first. Right. And I got a vocal track to work from. That's it. Oh, wow. So I had to write backwards how I'm used to everything. That's... So if you can imagine just a vocal track, really... And uh, that's pretty much all I had. That's completely backwards for most songwriting, yeah. you know, flows. And so I'm like listening to this. I'm trying to figure out, okay, it's like maybe like 140 or 145. I'm like trying to figure out like, oh, okay. Oh, you're juicing it. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, okay. I mean, I, 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 the way he was, uh, the pace he was singing at it, yeah. I was like, he's kind of like, he's really upbeat now. I'm like, okay, this actually can work though. It's right. like a good opener. Yeah. So, and I was like, okay, let me program these drums. I had this, once I heard it, like his, the way his, rhythm was in his voice i was like da, da, da. i like this sort of like riff started here in my head okay and i was like no we can work with this and so <laughs> I, I and that song actually came together really quick like which was weird because there was almost nothing there yeah um so i'm have to do that more but it was actually really cool like and so that turned to be one of my favorite like songs on the on the record it's like has a big huge chorus the riffs are really like in your face right it's on a seven string you know it's like really really heavy like sort of riffs you love it that's That's cool man that's one of my favorite songs but like the first four are like some of the most high energy on there it comes back Uh around sort of like ebbs and flows right but um but that one is probably one of my favorite so i think it's killer track that's great people think so too yeah (laughs) (laughs) so this is quench the fire by pareidolia
is her quench the fire. Awesome. Hot track. Thank you. Yeah. I love that one. <laughs> it's um, so we uh, were talking during the break and you guys recently went on a trip to uh, Nam together, mm. right? To Nam, yes. Nam. So for anyone uninitiated who is listening to the podcast, Nam is the North American Music Merchant. National yeah. Association National. of Music Merchants. Yeah. I was halfway there. Close enough, yeah. <laughs> but so, Not even kind of close. It's, it's <laughs> like... Yeah, got, yeah. No, I'm shitting on you. No, yeah. it's it To me, it's kind of like uh, Christmas after Christmas. It's like the yeah. very exciting thing that happens in January every year. It's huge. It's Well, I mean... When you go, it's sort of like it is Christmas Day because, like, you're going and it's like, oh my God, you're like overstimulated with all this stuff that's around you. Right. And if you're a musician, there's like nothing better than, than like new gear. It's new gear. It's, that's it's the, the drug of new gear. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. So right. that's, that's where they show it's kind of like the big conference where every music, you know, company shows up with, hey, this is our brand new top of the line. Stuff. It's a great way for them to showcase their items to people that are really interested in, in buying it. Right. And um, it's sort of like a way that they can unleash this. And it's like their big, like, it's almost like when you have a grand opening for a restaurant or something. Right. It's like, this is our big statement of our new amp for this year, mm-hmm. our new guitar. This is why this is the best. Sure. And they have something to show like, well, look how innovative we are because we have this line coming out. And there are some guys that are there every year. I don't seem to really notice anything different. They just seem to be there. <laughs> but some of like the bigger guys that are there, like <clears throat> Ernie Ball, you know, like they, Dario, they uh, have lots of things that they want to try and show. Because right. a lot of these are a lot of these companies don't just make one thing. No, like like Ernie Ball. I mean, they have Ernie Ball Music Man, so they have their whole line of guitars. Right, they have all their strings, and their booth was incredible. I mean, they had you know um, Steve Lukather, they had Albert uh, from Toto, they had Albert Lee, there John Petrucci. Wow, um, you know Jason Richardson was there. Um, uh, who else did they have? They had Mike Dawes, the acoustic player. Um, so they had like a lot of awesome people playing right so that in itself was a reason to go even mike broderick uh, who was in megadeth um active chris defund- broderick chris yeah chris said Bro- mike. did i say mike yeah. oh, i thought i said chris yeah. anyway <laughs> in my mind, i meant chris um chris broderick from uh, active defiance was there and um uh so like he was around and it's just like all these killer players it's like that in itself is like i would have gone to that sure if there was no one else even there sure. i would have paid money if i had to pay to go in uh to to see that alone right it was great uh, sterling ball was there the owner yeah the owner was yeah. there oh wow and it was funny because i had won a, a contest through ernie ball uh they had like this m steel madness con- guitar competition uh-huh. and um they sent me a majesty as like the grand prize like the six string version of this oh wow and um i remember i was talking to one of the guys that worked there and um online and um uh, so we had gone back and forth and, you know, he was like, and that in itself was its own like unbelievable experience. And it was just like an Instagram based thing too. So oh, that's a, cool. A, a, of, of showcasing your playing and stuff. And, um, and when I finally got there, I was like, Hey, I was like, Tim, I was like, it's me, Steve. Right. He's like, Whoa. He's like, so we got to actually like meet for the first time. That's cool. And like, we never met in person, but we, uh, before until that moment. Right. And so I got to, you know, meet him and, I even ran into a kid who I went to um, Berkeley with over the summer, like back in 2004. Oh, that's sick. You know, and um, I ran, I was like, I was like, Ivan? He was like, so Steve? <laughs> and it was like, 
you know, we both saw each other. And I was like, whoa. And it got to like grow out for a little bit. Cause like we hadn't seen each other in ages. He runs guitarmessenger.com, which is like a very like hip site for like, like up and coming guitar players or even like established guitar players. Right. It's kind of a cool place to find out like what's happening with guitar. Sure. You know, where is it? Like maybe some guy might give a lesson. And I've actually found out a lot of really great players like Richie Allen through his website. I'm like, oh, who is that guy? And then you're like, oh, wow, he can play his ass off. Right. So he's created this really great place for that. And so like, it's cool to see like how far some of these people have come and it, and now they're there, not as just a guitar player from what I remember them back when we were in high school, but like, sure. like kind of like how you're doing now. It's like you have like podcasts of all this stuff. It's crazy. Like you kind of evolve over the years to make something like really awesome. Well, yeah, like yeah. And, and running in those same circles. Yeah. And I, like I guess that, especially when Nam, you know, before technology so made it, you know, made it so easy for everyone to broadcast from yeah. wherever. But, um, you know, for, Nam, I think a lot of it was about like the personal connections. Like, oh, this guy, I see him every year at Nam, and I check in about our products. And if you're, you know, a store owner or something back yeah. in the day, that was really huge. Or like for you, from an artist to an artist connection, like Nam is a place you're probably going to run into people you know. And oh, as yeah. you go year after year, you're going to make more personal connections. Yeah, which is awesome. It's, yeah, I even yeah. ran some people who I've known. Uh, I would imagine. Years ago. Yeah. Yeah, just seeing photographers, uh, two guys, uh, one who we call Evil Rob. Oh, yeah. Uh, this dude's awesome. Like, I wouldn't classify him as like super metal, but um, nah, he knows a lot of big uh, big guys. And uh, we call him Evil Rob because when he used to drink, he used to just be a total, f- an asshole in the best way because <laughs> he would at least make us laugh. Right. And, uh, you know, just a few other people who I knew. So sure. even that for me, I mean, I'll, I'm not a musician. I mean, I like to play bass, but um, that's it. And, you know, there was no relevance for me to be there. I simply went because there was uh, an option to go. Right. And, uh, you know, even the people I ran into, it's just, it was just such a fun, awesome week, uh, even for me. And I, I was mostly there just to check out, uh, probably more for from a journalistic standpoint. Uh, sure. Because I was doing stuff for Loudwire. Yeah. Uh, as it turned out, when I showed up, I just you know I know the guys from Loudwire, um, and I just let them know, hey, uh, I don't know if you have anyone out here, um, so you know I'm here. So if you you know want me to do anything for you guys, let me know. And so surely enough, uh, Spencer, the editor in chief, just let me know. Actually, there is some stuff I would really love for your help on. So, Great. Turn into that even, and even when you're not trying to make a connection yeah. with anybody there, it just—I mean—the environment kind of controls everything. It dictates what's going to happen, and we just had the best week. It was a lot of fun, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and it's—it's it's like really overwhelming too. Sure, because like you're so like just saturated with new stuff um, that you get to see, and all the stuff that also you've been like lusting over online of like, oh my God, if I can get my hands on this or whatever, it's there. You can actually, it's not you like you're going, it. you can touch it and play it and, and it's okay. <laughs> it's like, you, you're like, this like, you know, like, like one of those like cat memes, like, can I touch it? You know, it's like, <laughs> like, no, you, they, they, no, you can, you can play it. And so, you know, like, uh, some of the cool people are who like Ormsby from Australia, they're like a boutique guitar manufacturer. Oh, wow. And the guy, uh, Ormsby, this is the guy's last name. He's there. 
Right. And 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 you can play them. They're like, you know, they're as expensive as like a Sir Tom Anderson. Something's like four or five thousand dollar guitars, but they're amazing and you can touch them and play them and, and see it for real. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And even with um like certain amp companies that you may see in stores like Eggnator, like Bruce Eggnator was there. They're still very boutique, yeah. Yeah, and um and so I never really I never bought one of their amps. I never like really got into their amps necessarily, but they had this one drive pedal that was an, uh, unbelievable. And so Bruce Eggnator's just jamming on it. And I'm like watching, I'm like, that's pretty cool. And he kind of looks at me, he's like, do you want to play? And I was like, okay. So he gives me his guitar and I start playing on it. And he's like, actually, yes, pretty good. He's like, hey, well, let me do this. And so he's like messing with the settings. And um, it was one of the best straight, clean, we put that thing on it sounded like someone just turned on a 5150 or something it was like a very high gain in your face like sound and i was like this is awesome this is fucking great i was like i've never heard of this he's like yeah no one has <laughs> he's like because he's like they don't sell this in stores yeah. he's like you have to go onto our website and buy it and i was like well, where would i ever try this yeah other than nam like where would i ever try out a pedal like this and it was great. So like there was like little gems right. all throughout. Right. And it's like one of those like, you know, kind of like open world video games where it's like you have this immense world and there's a little sort of like treasures like placed randomly. Yeah, you gotta find, you gotta you find gotta them. Through them. And you could take four days, four full days before you find some of them, not even all of them. Yeah, it really sure. takes that long to discover everything. I would imagine. It's, yeah. it's enormous. Like there, if you right? like three floors of just awesomeness, you know, like everything from selling guitar picks right. or, or whatever to uh, actually Mesa Boogie wasn't there, but they don't really need to be. But, you know, anything along those lines, like right. anywhere from biggest to smallest, everyone was there. Oh, even sure. uh, the ones who you've never even heard of. I mean, they got ukulele guys there. Yeah, like people running their businesses out of their garages or something. Right yeah, they, they really put together everything they have. Just to be able, and it's not cheap either. I'm sure it's to, not. To, to be even an exhibitor there, and it's and it was funny because a lot of the software I use, like like even Guitar Pro, like I transcribed most of our album, like at least the riffs, not the solos, in Guitar Pro, and that's how everyone in the band learned how they what they had to do. Right. Was because I sent out what. Well, it's kind of a nice thing for them. They get a fully a full demo, and they get a PDF and tab oh on Guitar Pro of what to play. I don't think people could ask for anything more it's, if you had to play a song. It's about as much as you can get. So it was like, I'm always into what what's next with Guitar Pro, right? So that's one piece of software that I love, you sure. know? They had an, a booth that was probably the width of this keyboard, <laughs> and it was like... That was their thing. And it was them and like maybe 10 other guys lined up next to each other. Right. And that was the biggest booth that they can get. But at least they were there. Right. And for them, I got to find out, hey, Guitar Pro 7 coming out in March. Okay, now I know I'm to look out and buy this. So maybe it wasn't the biggest booth, but it got the job done because they're visible at least. Sure. It's and Even when you're in a band or whatever, you want to be visible. At right. least see what I'm right. about. Yeah. And they were. And it did the job. And it was cool because you got to see stuff like that. And I'm sure it's yeah. good for them too in that like there's a dialogue there. So they they have an artist walking up to them saying, I love your product. Yeah. And here, let me tell you why I love your product. Like I'm sure you, you spoke with them about things that you like. Oh, of Maybe course, there was, absolutely. Like, workflow stuff, like things that you might want to tweak or things. Yeah. And, and that wouldn't have happened otherwise without that face-to-face. -face yeah, and it's like you can go up to them and, and not even in like a, um, a condescending way, you could say like, Hey, like, or even like, um, asking them about, Hey, you know what? I noticed on my Mac 
this doesn't happen. Right. Like, are you guys planning on fixing this? Or do you guys plan on adding support for this? And then I'll find out and say, actually, no. But like, then they add that to a sort of like list of things that they need to do for upcoming releases. Sure. And they're like, hey, you know, like, do you have retina display support on this? And on their previous, they didn't. Yeah. So when you put on a retina display, it looked kind of grainy, yeah, which is like backwards. That's very obvious Yeah, when you have that problem. Yeah, and it's like, they said, no, no, no. In the seven, we know about it. It's going to be fixed. So you can find it's like, oh, cool. Now you can plan for all that stuff, right. and I, I know what to, which one to put the machine. So it's, it's a very cool thing. And and there's a million other examples like that where you run into these manufacturers, and you're just like, you've been wanting to know once it's coming out. Like Josh <laughs> and I, we went by Marshall, right? And um, you know, they had a type of amp that I really liked. It was sort of like an amp modeler, uh-huh. and. Um, and for what it's supposed to do, and especially for the type of gigs that I'm going to be playing in the future, like a lot of club date type stuff, it's a perfect amp for that because it's like essentially an amp modeler. Right. It, it doesn't need to be at the level of like an Axe FX or Kemper, but it's good enough to get the job done. Sure. And um, I would never have known about it if we didn't go. And they gave us all this info about it. You got to play it. And so these are just things you're putting in the back of your mind as like, okay, I got to budget myself for 2017 because I'm going to need this later, you know? So it's, it was a very cool thing. That's right. crazy that's super to drop neat. a lot of dollars in that place. Yeah. Do, um, do they have any buying and selling going on or is it all oh, demos? Yeah. Really? You, you, can, you buy. can buy. Stuff? It's limited though. Like mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff there, like for some of the bigger manufacturers, it's sort of like no, go through your dealer. Right. You know, but like for some of the, like for example, we're talking about Ormsby before. With Ormsby guitars, like, they yeah they're like yeah if you want this you can buy it and even some of the other guys are like you can buy these guitars but you have to ship them yourself we're not shipping them right, here for here. you from yeah. here so for some guys that are like in LA that's like I'm taking this home with oh, it's me like a kid in a candy land oh yeah it's it's thing. yeah but for us you know we're in New Jersey it's sort of like well now I have to find time between like Saturday afternoon and like you know leaving to pack to pack and ship, and ship and, this and yeah. so at that point it's like uh, it's kind of tough and it's like. Do I need this? But like, well, what is need? But like, yeah. you know, you know, it's like you're asking the bigger question. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it, it was just a type of thing where uh, you know you can get it if you want, right. depending on the place. Or you could place an order and they'll ship to you for some of the smaller items. I was gonna say, yeah, or, I mean, you're not gonna walk out with it. Uh, sure, they just they ship it to you. Or like, um, even if you depending fit, on what it is, it, depending as long as what you're looking for is not a one-off, I'm sure you can like walk out of there with a list of model numbers. Oh yeah, and be like, okay, when I get home, I'm going shopping, and it's yeah. X, that, Y, and Z. Well, that's exactly what I did with Ibanez because okay. I love like the Japanese-made prestige Ibanez. I I love the neck. I love everything about those guitars, and they they are coming out with, in 2017 with these beautiful finishes on these. Uh, RG uh, get, uh, body guitars, really, and um, I was I as soon as we walked in, it was one of the first things that we saw, and I was like blown away. They have like their um, uh, J Custom like thirtieth, I think thirtieth anniversary guitar. It was, it was yeah. beautiful, and right. it was just like you're looking at stuff. And I was like, wow. Sometimes I have to get one of these. I want to just like take them all, but like you know, you have to like limit yourself, and it's like okay, this is the one I really like. So now it's like I know looking out for this guitar and when it comes out it's like i gotta get this of course and they they've been amazing with coming out with even just their like not their prestige but like some of their still higher end stuff it's not even crazy expensive but they're just pumping out really quality finishes really quality builds on these guitars it's like very very cool thing to see they do oh i am going into uncharted territory i think it's yamaha i'm thinking of not 
Ibanez, but there's uh who's that bassist that has the stereo outs on his bass? Billy Sheen. Billy Sheen, yeah. His signature is a Yamaha, I think. Yeah. 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 It's like a six thousand dollar Yamaha mm. or something. I'm Sounds like, about right. I was like, I didn't know that Yamaha made basses that got like that. But here here the you talk about the, sick. the, yeah. the, oh, the yeah. Ibanez, uh, you know, make and model. Like you, to find to some people like I, I used to have a bad perception of Ibanez because I used to think of like, oh, so-and-so I used to play with had an Ibanez in his basement and he thought he was yeah, Yngwie yeah, or whatever right. and he was just a chump. And so I got a bad taste about Ibanez in my mouth. But everyone these days, like most people, has like, a, their top of the line is gorgeous. It's beautiful. They actually improve yeah. upon uh, things that are already there. They're oh, kind of yeah. like the Apple of PC, you know? Right. Well, everyone uh, forgets Ibanez, they were the ones that really made like the original like shredder fast neck sure because before then you had like you know you had your fender guitars your les paul guitars they weren't designed to be played in the upper register no for the shredder guys like when steve vai was becoming what he is he needed a guitar that fit his needs and they had the rg but they didn't have anything that would fit his needs. And so they've even like mastered that wizard neck. And like all the all the stuff has been modeled after that. Like a lot of the other manufacturers, like you look at Jackson, you look at even you know, right. or Charvel, like a lot of these guys, um, it's modeled after that. So they were really pioneers in that sort of field. They do make, you know, every guitar company has like their, you know, entry level guitars. Sure. You know, and it's almost like I feel like a lot of people judge. It's almost like you, looking at a, a car manufacturer. If you judge every car manufacturer off their like entry level vehicle, yeah, then they're going to be. Yeah, then it's like, well, okay, well, how special? But when you look at their high end stuff, sure. You know, but there is something to be said though for being able to make a guitar for not a lot of money too. Absolutely. You know, because like I'm, I'm sure all these guys build beautiful guitars that they, they may cost like three thousand yeah. dollars. But there, there is an art too to making a guitar that really costs nothing. Or and not sounds, much. Sounds and sounds, good. yeah, right. exactly. That, so That is a blending of like different, you know, cultures. Right, of course, <laughs> yeah. To get that to happen. But yeah. while you guys were at NAMM, like I know it's it's like asking an insane question, but just off the top of your head, did you have like favorite picks of the show or was there something that you saw that like stole the show for you? Or was there like, was there something that you just walked away from you couldn't stop thinking about? Or? Well, from my perspective, uh, cause I was definitely there more for the entertainment standpoint. Right. Uh, there were um, not private performances, uh, but there were some rooms where like, like Korg had a booth. Uh, they had just stuff running all day. Uh-huh. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton, for example, okay, had his band, oh, and that was the biggest attraction because playing they, at Korg, uh, yeah, Korg was just sponsoring uh, the fact that he was there. Oh, interesting. Uh, so yeah, because yeah, he's got a hillbilly band that he calls it the Boxmasters, and um, so in their booth they have a, like a little sound room right. uh, fits about ninety people, first come first serve. Sure. So everyone's trying to kill each other, getting in to yeah. check this out among some of the other. Uh, performances that they had, like Jordan Rudess from Dream Theater would oh, be there. God. That yeah. guy, he's at every show, yeah. he's demoing everything. Yeah, he, well, he's the guy to do it. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, like that's he's the guy who makes the most difficult thing in the world look so easy. It's frustrating. <laughs> it's, yeah, he makes it look so incredibly easy that yeah. you discount. It's like that attitude I just had of like he's always there, he's always doing it. Yeah, because he's Jesus on a keyboard. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no one's touching him. No, yeah. that's it. That's why he's there. Yeah, but yeah. I'm sorry I interrupted. No, you're fine. I mean, you walk around, someone's doing a uh, product demonstration. 
Uh, I think what kills you the most is that you're having so much fun. You want to catch everything. You're, right. You're, you're, you're seeing everyone's schedule or stuff that's not listed because they have an app. Uh-huh. Uh, NAM, the, uh, the NAM app. So that's cool. Like within the, like the, the, the last few weeks before the event, um, you're seeing, oh shit, they just announced that, uh, uh, I don't know, Stone Sour or Slipknot, they're all doing signings. Or oh, nice. John Petrucci's going to be there doing a signing or you know anything like that. And then, then there's stuff you, you'll never hear about because you have to be at the right place at the right time. So if you're at the PRS booth on the right day at the right time, sure. you got to see John Mayer. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah. Uh, in fact, Steve told me about that, and I got pretty pissed because I was waiting in line <laughs> yeah. to catch Billy Bob Thornton. Oh, I see. Um, yeah. But at, at the same time, I don't... like. It, you're going there because you want to see just John Mayer because he's a celebrity. Right. Yeah. You know, it's like what he was demoing. Steve actually just wanted to play the freaking guitars. Yeah. <laughs> sure. I mean, I mean, like for me, like what they were demoing there was like, I was just, my thing was like, really? This is what <laughs> you guys came up with? It was basically like a $6,000 amp head that has one channel and like no reverb in is, it. Is that his signature? His, it's, yeah, it's his I, like. I just heard about it. So what is it? Is it like a really bluesy thing or like? It's supposed to be like. I wasn't buying it personally, like the, the, the theory behind it. It's like they wanted this like really like sort of like clear sound for like, I guess the style of music that he plays. Yeah, very he wants, he wants that sort of like, crisp. oh, crisp like sound. Um, and he has, you know, his PRS guitar that he's playing on now, which yeah. I always thought he sounded great on his Fender. I saw, he's been, he's been playing an Ibanez in like all of his Instagram videos. Yeah. Like, I don't know what's up I with f- that. Yeah. I think it's an Ibanez. I might not have went to the dark that. side. Yeah, you know? right. I, saw, yeah. I saw Joe Walsh play an Ibanez once. And I thought it was the weirdest thing. Doesn't, when you see some artists playing a certain guitar, it just looks strange. Right? It's like, yeah. that's not, it's well, that like, look, think of it this way. Like some of these guitars, I could see a silhouette. And it's like, right. oh, that's that's Ingve yeah. Malmstein. Like, yeah. oh, that's Steve Vai, especially with that monkey grip. Sure. You know, it's like some of some of them, it's like, that's who they are. It's yeah. just an extension of them. Oh, it's enormous. So when you see them with a different guitar, it's like, like I, I you know, if you see like John Petrucci with a strat, you're just like, whoa, like your whole world is like collapsed. It's like my whole understanding of how this works is like non existent. Or even now. like I, I know that like Jimmy Page really got a start on a telecaster, but yeah. like when I see him on a Telecaster, it looks weird. I want to see him on a Les Paul. Right, yeah. It, so even like, he's still known for a Telecaster, but that looks strange too. Yeah. It's uh, it's funny when someone's identity can be, well then, hey, that's why they come up with signature guitars. Right. Right, so yeah. when someone's identity is so wrapped up in uh, something. I saw that, um, Tosin Abasi. Oh from, yeah. He's got a signature coming out. His is wild. Like It's like... Sorry to interrupt, but it's like, yeah. who is going to play? Well, no like one a, can uh, play like that. Like a 16-string guitar? It, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like an eight-string beast, and like there's no cutaway on the top. It's, it's like, like oval-shaped yeah. almost. I honestly, I don't know who can make sense of this thing, but like, and, and I always wonder, there's sometimes when I see artists who are good get signature guitars, and I'm like, yeah, they're good players. I was like, but is there a market for this? Is there a need? There must be if some corporate some, guys are like, yeah, we need to make this uh, on a factory, you know? Right. But um, but yeah, I'm like, well, no one's really going to do it justice like he can. Maybe they can, and I would love to see it. But like, sure. but you know, it's like, I don't know, because he's a one-of-a-kind player. It really is. Yeah, and so it's it's very interesting to see. Like some of the other cool stuff that was there, like <clears> some <throat> like of the boutique guitar guys, like Sir had some really amazing stuff. They always do. Right. Um, there was a really cool like um, pickup for acoustic and classical guitars that I was really digging. It's like a wireless sort of 
pickup, like a body mount type. It thing? goes. Yeah, it's got like this little worm. Like uh, it sits at the uh, sound hole, right? Oh, that's cool. And uh, you can mount it onto the body, and like the adhesive doesn't damage the finish. That's so important for classical. Yeah, because like you know the guitar I have has this like French polish, and it's like yeah. you know many layers, and it's it's very it's an expensive in- instrument. And actually, Josh was with me when I bought it. It's part of the resonance. It is, and the the thing that like killed me inside was I was backstage at a gig with it and I dinged a small part of the top. And even to this day now I'm like crushed. It's not like a huge thing. If you like look at it, like you know, it's yeah. You can see that like little smudge mark, which is, and I tried to buff it out and I just, I I might bring it to a luthier, but like it killed me because when I was backstage, it's pitch black. I just finished that this big piece. I had like I played the Grand Overture. I played like um, El Colibri, which is this like shredder, like classical type piece. And I was like, I was like, okay, cool. I killed it. Like I felt really good about the performance. And like, okay. And then the curtains close and it's pitch black. Sure. And I'm like, oh shit. And so I walk to the side and you can't see anything. I just hear like like, ding, crunch. I was like, and that was like also my soul too. I was like crunch. And I was like, oh fuck. That's I knew it was the top. It's it's not like not playable but like i i know that little smudge mark is yeah you'll never sell that thing again though well i would never sell I, well the good thing is i love that guitar so much is sure. i would never sell it, it it's kind oh, of it kind of becomes part of your story. battle scar yeah. yeah like i never understood like fender is so you know year over year they're trying to increase their sales but like when they came out with the road worn stuff oh yeah I'm like i can understand like maybe a worn in <laughs> neck because it has a softer feel or something yeah but like when you're talking about buying a brand new guitar that looks like someone threw it out of a moving car. Right. <laughs> like that would only be fun and nice if I had a story exactly. associated with that. And that guitar still sounds great. And it's, it looks that way because this guy did this thing after this show to it. Right. Rather than like, yeah, I bought this $4,000 guitar and a guy in California with a Dremel, you know, yeah, like made it look it up. beat up. It's, I never understood that. It's like when I, like uh, people say like, I want to get a tattoo. I was like, uh, okay, like of what? Well, I don't know. What should I get a tattoo of? It's like, no, no, no. no. Like you, you have to know, like it's right. part, like that's your story you're telling that's on you forever. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I can't tell you what to put on there. It's like, you can't give me a guitar that's beat up. It's like, cause I have a story at least with, with that, with that ding mark. And I'm sure there'll be others over yeah. the years. Yeah. And I can say, you know what? That was at this show. Oh, that was at that show. And right. th- there's some life and soul to that instrument now. Yeah, because I mean, you see that they're it. really just doing it for cosmetic reasons. Yeah. It just looks cool. Yeah. yeah. That's it. It's it's like buying street cred. Right. It's like, oh, look at the scratch marks in this pick guard. Yeah. No, you didn't put those there. Yeah, you, you didn't play a show ever. Did, like, you, yeah. did you ever see, it was back when, um, gosh, it must have been like 2000 and like maybe 10 or 11, a Fender made the like Frankenstein strat. Like they, oh. they replicated, yeah. they made like 25 of those and they even sourced like the, same year of the quarters that he like screwed onto the guitar and stuff. Oh, like it was, it was $25,000 for this strat replica. And they like found the same capacitors that would have been in his like exact, you know, Frankenstein strat. And I remember looking at this thing and being like, wow, this is incredible. They basically made the, that guitar exists 25 more times. They painted all the same layers of paint underneath. Like wow. there's that guitar had like five different paint jobs on it wow. and only one showed through and they like painted all of that. And it's like, who's buying that? Right. Like 
that thing kind of belongs in a museum, right. but not really because yeah. it's not the guitar. Like, what is the mark? It's a showpiece, I guess. And I guess it's Fender saying, hey, look at us. We can do this. Yeah. But like, what is, how does that work? It, that always blows my mind because Fender did that. I remember that also, I believe Martin also came out with this sort of like anniversary guitar like right. based off of clocks, they got, they did something with like um, timepieces, and they did these elaborate inlays, uh, and also like the body work and the painting. It's like they sell these things for like you know, uh, you know, like five figures, and it's like who's buying this? I was like, because I'm not going to bring this to a bar gig. No, you know, it's no like way. it's like it's almost like are these guys collectors or like just maybe really really well off guys that kind of play but want it right it's it's really an interesting market and and like Josh was saying before like you know we saw one of the the Nomac or whatever like yeah. John Petrucci uh, was it Nomac Nomac well, or something like yeah. that some stupid name it was like from, it looks from like the, the Terminator it's got actual gems built into it there's oh really no, yeah. there's nothing that makes this guitar sound any better than the one Steve's got right there <laughs> yeah it just looks really fucking it's a badass. cosmetic thing yeah oh it's like good badass it's I mean, not yeah like, pretty much, like if anyone's or, gonna play that live it's cheesy. just gonna be job churchy it's one yeah. or the other it, it depends it, on who plays it, it depends on who plays it and who's looking at it like someone might say oh that's ugly or someone right. might say oh man that's killer you know it's like depending on who's yeah. looking at it but it's like it has like lights i think coming like the like red lights oh my gosh. it's basically designed it's built around they had that concept album the astonishing okay. that came out and like it was this sort of like cheesy, like sci-fi sort of like, you know, story. And uh, they basically modeled the guitar after one of the, these sort of devices in the actual, like a, like a drone. It's like a drone. Story. Yeah. That's yeah. in the artwork. Yeah. Oh, okay. So, I mean, it makes sense, I guess that it's, you know, what it's based off of. There's a reason for it to exist. Exactly. Yeah. So. But it for was, someone to play it. But yeah, like, yeah, it's like you're not bringing that to any gig. The one know? actually, the one thing that uh, I just kind of, you know, popped out to me as we were talking about who who plays those like crazy one off guitars. The one guy who I know that there's footage of in uh, John Mayer's concert where the light is, he plays a replica of Hendrix's Monterey Pop Strat. Oh sure. And so they, I remember they had like they got like a family member of the original artist who painted Hendrix's guitar and they got like a family member to paint like 10 guitars in the same style. So I guess in a sense you're buying it for the artwork value, like yeah. the same way you might buy a painting. Yeah. But he was like the one guy, cause in that, if you watch that concert, like he's got a guitar change after every song. Right. And they're all strats in that era. So, so yeah. he walks out, he's got like the left-handed reverse headstock for one of them for when he does a Hendrix cover and stuff. But then he has that Monterey pop strat replica. And I was like, Oh, okay. So maybe that's maybe like, extreme high-end collectors people who you know might not talk about the blood sweat and tears of it right yeah they just want it to have it or maybe like producers and people might you know like someone like john mayer might give it to like oh my producer who was there when i got you know a platinum record like maybe he gets that as yeah i mean that's the thing is like there's a market for all this stuff otherwise people wouldn't be making it i guess not yeah it's, it's it's wild but yeah yeah, the uh, gullibility of stupid people, or just <laughs> yeah. the extreme desire to, uh, like like we were saying earlier, it's like you can buy this guitar; it's not gonna make you play like the guy. You can buy no. the signature model, uh, and then I think people actually kind of believe that. 
Yeah. They, they, they yeah. think like, well, if it's comfortable to them and they can play that way, that must be, you know, just as equally beneficial for me. Right. Uh, that's not the case. And I don't know who thinks that way. But also like a huge thing with guitarists specifically is, uh, lots of people will say like, Oh, the tone is all in the fingers. Yeah. Like you could pick up, you know, like a John Mayer signature strat or whatever. You're not going to make it sound like gravity yeah. unless you've got the chops yeah. to play that way. Yeah. Which, you, know, you can play the song from beginning to end, but you can play the same notes. You're not going to play it the way he plays it. Right. Because there's so much like, and people say when they when they say that, I always look at it as like to me, it's tones more in the technique than anything because like I think yeah, the the actual hands and the way they play it um, do change, but um, but it's sort of like how you fret notes, how you right. intonate them, right. your vibrato, sure, like that to me those those are the subtle things that sort of like um, um, like will slightly alter enough what um, your tone is. Right. So I don't think enough people pay attention to that stuff. Like when they're learning a tune or when they're learning a piece, it's sort of like, I'm going to do my own vibrato, even if it's not sort of the same. And over the course of an entire song, that's enough that it can just make it not quite sound the right, same. Right, and it colors the the yeah. consumption of that song. Yeah. Or even like before before when you were setting up your amp here, like I was upstairs and I came down and when I heard it, I was like, oh, okay, yeah, Steve's here. Like yeah. it sounded like oh, cool. you playing that. Like it it didn't sound like, okay, <laughs> here's like, you know, someone's playing one of the guitars in the basement. It's like, oh, it's the combination of like Steve's fingers going through that combo and coming out and it's like, oh, that is... Steve sound. Oh, cool, man. Yeah. yeah so it's like, it's, it's a signature in a way that you can't buy. You can't buy like that. Like there's, there's going to be a Steve today signature guitar and it's, you know, only you are going to be able to make it sound the way right. you're going to make it sound. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's a, a very interesting thing because the, just the commercialization of music. Yeah. Like you see uh, what people are chasing after these days. And then you think about how like, you know, Robert Johnson was playing a guitar that was like a cigar box or something. Yeah, yeah. Like you realize what yeah. you said before, what is need? What is need? What is it really? It's yeah. like, do, do I need to have all of these wacky gadgets? Yeah. No, I still suck. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I know a guy that made a guitar out of an actual oil can. Yeah. Sounds fantastic. There's there's um a company I saw on Kickstarter a couple of years back. They they were like buying old like uh acetone canisters and making guitars out of that that were bolting necks on and it's like, okay, yeah, if you want a trashy sound and like it's kinda of like a hollow, kind of very right. trebly sound, but if that's what you're going for, do it. Yeah. It works. Yeah, you can get a surprisingly good sound out of really anything. You guys ever watch um It Might Get Loud that documentary it's uh jack white and jimmy page and i didn't personally see it it's a good one and it's it's just those guys sitting in a room talking and um they have a a, like this little interstitial where jack white which you know lots of people might feel certain ways about him i think he's pretty cool um but he uh he makes a guitar he he takes a block of wood and he takes a glass coke bottle he uses that as the bridge and he stretches a string over it and he nails it down to each end of the board and he puts a pickup underneath it and he makes a slide guitar out That's of it awesome. <laughs> and and so he's like he, he has this part in the movie where he he does that and then he says he's like you know people might ask like oh what, what is it like when you can 
own whatever guitar you want or whatever. He's like, I don't know. I say make your own. That's, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and it works because guys like that, they have their technique and they can apply that to anything that resembles a guitar. Right. It's going to sound good. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's a super neat thing. It's very cool. So I think we're wrapping up very here. Cool. Hmm. Had a, had a good time. All you guys, you guys have projects to plug. You guys have. Uh, uh, well, we just have the Paradolia record we we released. We're we're going to be playing shows soon. Great. Um, so we'll be in like the New Jersey, northern New Jersey, New York City area doing that. And um, I may have some new videos with the Guitar World later this year. Awesome. Should be fun. That's yeah. Fair so enough. keep an eye out for that. Awesome. And I'll I'll link the uh, music video and the awesome. songs and cool, the in the blog post on the website. Sweet. And Josh, you have places for people to read and see your photos. And I do. Uh, yeah, altrevolt.com. Um, just really mainly focuses on. Uh, Anything from rock and roll to heavy metal, um, you know, anything along those lines, all the gossipy, buzzy, newsy kind of shit that goes on. Great. And uh, yeah, you know, trying to plug away at that. Awesome. Awesome. So you just listen to the machine talks and that's it. Have a good one. You just listened to episode five of the machine talks. It's a podcast about music. I would really, really like to thank Steve and Josh for being on the show today. To close the episode, we're going to have a third track from Paradolia's album, Denied Truths. Check out the companion playlist for today's episode at themachinetalks.com and email your questions to podcast at themachinetalks.com. Listen to The Machine Talks on iTunes, Google Play Music, Pocket Casts, or anywhere else you find podcasts. Follow the show on Facebook at The Machine Talks and Twitter at Machine Podcast. Paradolia is sending us out today with their song, Redeemed. Thanks for listening to the show and have a good one.